as women, we're socialized to actually have low desire because we, we take care of more of the household work. So there's work inequality. There is the socialization of women being like, don't desire too much because then you might be a slut because women who like sex too much, we don't like them either. So really you're like never encouraged to be like, what do I desire? What do I like? Am I allowed to even say I'm a person who desires? So there's all this socialization that happens to women, specifically when partnered with men, because they're the ones who are supposed to initiate. We're the gatekeepers. Again, this is all like gender norms and stuff like that. And so I'm like, you know what? We are biopsychosocial humans. We're not always, oh, I just have low dopamine. Oh, I just have low testosterone. This is the Man Up Podcast, Doctor's Guide to Men's Health. Each week on our podcast, we interview the top specialists of the field on various topics in men's health. You have questions that you are too afraid to ask, we have the answers. This week, our episode is titled, She Comes First, Understanding Female Sexual Health with Dr. Kelly Casperson. I'm Dr. Kevin Chu, and I'm joined as always with my co-host, Dr. Justin Dubin. How goes, Justin? Good. I'm ready for the Super Bowl. Who you got? Well, we're gonna we're gonna put this out you know, on the Monday after Super Bowl, so we're either gonna look really smart. Hey, or so, not. Our, so, <laughs> so our listeners will be able to call us out on this. Um, you know, I I I kind of I, I think the Eagles got it. I, I think they got an unstoppable offense. Who do you? Think? I actually I don't disagree with you. I think the Eagles are probably the most dominant team. But as a Giants fan, I refuse. Yeah. I'm I'm putting I'm I'm going on on Kansas City. We're on to Kansas City here. This is the Kansas. I, either way, I think it's going to be a great game. So you know, well, hopefully, hopefully, when this is you know aired, it wasn't like some blowout or something like that. But <laughs> right, right, you know, I, I, but I think chances are, I think Eagles are going to win. But I'm hoping for Kansas City. I agree. Um, but... Do on, on another another uh, sports note, you know, what do you think of LeBron passing Kareem? Oh, you, you're. I, I'm not a big LeBron you... fan. Sorry, LeBron, if you're listening, but. <laughs> Did you, I mean, I had a couple friends who were there actually yesterday. They said it was pretty awesome. I mean, I mean, I watched it and then I watched the Lakers just get destroyed. They suck as a team. So I really, you know, it's pretty funny. Oh, they just blockbuster trade though right now. I, I didn't see it. Westbrook, I was at dinner. So. They unloaded Westbrook. It's about time. I mean, they've been trying to yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Russell, if you're listening <laughs> too. But yeah, you know, <laughs> Westbrook's off and uh, the Lakers got um, – What's that guy? He's from the Tim. Oh, they got uh, D'Angelo Russell back. I like D'Angelo <laughs> Russell though. I like D'Angelo Russell. Yeah, so uh, that's good. I mean, listen, it's I, I don't I don't think about basketball until football season's done. So I'm getting ready now in the next two weeks to transition my brain to basketball. Going going yeah. to Heat game yeah. on Friday, so you know that's the first nice. step. And, you know, getting yeah. my brain into basketball, first basketball game of the season, you know, so I'm getting there, yeah. but, but usually, you know, I love, I love watching basketball. I love the playoffs. NBA playoffs are so, so fun, but um, yeah. let's get back into why we're here. You know, it's February. We've, we've been focusing on the themes of relationships and in, in regards to, you know, Valentine's day is coming up. I think it's right. And so, um, you know, we highlighted some, uh, some of the dating episode, 
from our previous dating episode mm -hmm. last week, and we had Dr. Stryker on, and we felt like this was a natural follow-up. We're, we're joined by Dr. Kelly Kasperson, and we're going to be talking about female sexual health. And take a little bit, you know, we started with anatomy and understanding a lot of that with Dr. Stryker. We're going to go into desire, hormones, um, you know, mismatches in relationships, keeping, you know, sexual health, even in women and, and understanding that in women. Because I think guys, you know, often we're worried about just ourselves and be, being able to get it up. But, you know, you have a partner out there. And if there's problems there, too, that we can't identify then, you know, there's going to be relationship issues as well. Yeah, you know, I, I think in this episode, we touch on a lot of things that are very interesting. And I think a lot of things that guys don't know. Um, some things that come off my mind, we talk about, you know, you know, testosterone is quite often, you know, thought of being synonymous with guys, but it's actually important in females to a certain extent. Uh, additionally, I think we talk about menopause yeah. and its effect on females. And so, a lot of things I didn't know and I learned, I'm sure, same for you, Justin, but it's things that are important for guys to know because, you know, if your partner's a female, there's going to be a lot of things that they're going through. Right, yeah, Justin? I think that the menopause thing is very important because, you know, we, we you know, our physiology as guys change, obviously our, our bodies change, but also, you know, after menopause, women go through a really significant changes in their bodies and that can impact your right. sex life, their sexual health and impact your sex life as a couple. So um, I think that it's a really important, um, uh, we get some important information here to really understand that. So I think that's a, that was a great highlight. So just to give a background of Dr. Kelly Casperson, she's a urologist. She's an author and podcaster. Uh, she does a really wonderful podcast um, called You're, You Are Not Broken. Uh, her, the mission of the podcast and the book is to empower women to live their best lives. Uh, the book is of the same name as well, You Are Not Broken, and it explores uh, what makes women physiologically unique and provides readers with tips and tricks to live the sex lives they want. She's, as I said, a very good, she's an outstanding podcaster, and she's the host of the yeah. You Are Not Broken podcast, and which she just she discusses similar topics. I think she recently had over 1 million downloads. So she's really one of the voices, the lead voices mm -hmm. in this topic. Um, and we were very, very yeah. lucky to have her on today uh, or on this episode. All right. So, Hey, I think we should just jump straight in, right? Let's do it. Have a great week, everyone. Go Kansas City Chiefs, but it's over, but I, I hope they won. <laughs> congratulate. Let me be the first to congratulate the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, <laughs> wow. Please put this guy on blast if he is wrong. Please put this guy on blast. Um, also, have a happy thanks uh, Thanksgiving. Happy Valentine's Day. Wow, this guy, is, this guy is all it's over the late. place right now. It's late. Um, happy Valentine's ha happy Day. Happy Valentine's That's a Day. All right, let's get into the episode. <laughs> so, you know, recently we, we discussed female anatomy in general with on our previous podcasts and exploring the clitoris and the vagina, but we really didn't discuss, you know, other aspects of female sexual health and specifically when it comes to desire. Now, Dr. Kasperson, you're really leading the way in these kinds of conversations with patients online with your podcast and how do you think about sexual desire and are there differences in sexual desire uh and how it's experienced between men and women well yeah thanks for asking it's a huge topic it's the number when you when you 
study women. It's their number one, you know, complaint or issue with with their sexual activity. And it, it, desire is super fascinating because some is you know the biopsychosocial thing of sex med mm -hmm. of like some right. people will be like it's dopamine it's testosterone they want to like parse it down to just like a chemical right. that's deficient in your brain so that's that school of thought then there's the school of thought of like you know more of the sex therapists of like desire comes and goes desire is fluid desire has to do with you know your stress levels and are, are you taking care of kids at night mm -hmm. and you know all these different things that affect desire there's this amazing paper that came out last year called the, the heteronormativity theory of low desire in women partnered okay. with men fantastic paper basically th so there's that theory of like there's things that as women were socialized to actually have low desire because we, we take care of more of the household work. Mm -hmm. So there's work right. inequality. There is the socialization of women being like, don't desire too much because then you might be a slut because women who mm -hmm. like sex too much, we don't like them either. So really you're like never encouraged to be like, what do I desire? What do I like? Am I allowed to even say I'm a person who desires? So there's all this socialization that happens to women, specifically when partnered with men, because they're the ones who are supposed to initiate. We're the gatekeepers. Again, this is all like gender right, norms right. and stuff like that. And so I'm like, you know what? We are biopsychosocial humans. We're not always, oh, I just have low dopamine. Oh, I just have low testosterone. But certainly you can get into testosterone has been found useful for low desire, especially in postmenopausal women where testosterone might be low. So I love the complexity of it because it's not easy. And I like to explain it because people are like, well, what if I just buy this supplement on right, Instagram? Yeah, Will that yeah. help? And you're like, placebo, placebo <laughs> helps desire a lot, actually. Like, oh, if you 100%. think you're going to have better sex and desire that person more, it's going to work. So, but, you know, people will fall victim to internet advertising. And then there's the whole theory of like, is desire even important? Is the point of your life to have desire for sex or is your point of life to have good sex? Mm. And do you need desire to have good sex? And I always like the exercise equation of like, I do not desire to work out all the time, but I'm pretty damn fit because I, I want exercise right. in my life. Mm -hmm. And when I do it or after it, it's great. And a lot of desire, especially with sex for women will come during sex or after sex. Like, ah, I forgot how good that was. Like I never prioritize that because I always forget how good that was, but that was so great. Can, can that's such an interesting, like, that's now. so interesting now. because I think Kevin's going to agree with me that guys are like ready to go we're like all right like we finished that we're like that was awesome like guys are like oh yeah that's great like exactly like how yep. i wanted to do it and it's a just it's a different <laughs> it's a different perspective it's 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 a very different way of thinking and um so because it's like a reminder yeah. is Ro what you're saying rosemary Bazan. totally and rosemary Bazan was the one who published like Maybe desire doesn't come first. Maybe this isn't linear for all humans. Maybe it can come in the middle or maybe it can come afterwards. And so people get so hung up, you know, they'll come to a clinic and they'll be like, you know, are you sexually active? No, I just don't have any desire. And it's like, well, I don't have desire for, you know, eating well, but like I prioritize it and then I'm happy I do it when I do it. Like it, we always think like it comes first on the bus stop. And so one of the chapters is my, in my book is like F desire right. of like, maybe we should just work on having sex worth desiring mm -mm. instead of like waiting for this first bus stop to then go have sex. That's so interesting. Um, Kevin, you were going to say something? Sorry. Yeah. So, you know, I, I like the way how you said, like, you know, you know, I, you, I do see these IG ads where I, I, you know, I see where it's like, 
you take this one supplement and it's going to fix your <laughs> yeah. desire issues, right? But, you know, as, you know, we, we are doctors and, you know, we try to like break things into different facets. So why don't we just focus on like just a chemical aspect of it? Because, you know, and guys, we do use testosterone to help in one portion for treating desire. So how about for women? Is there something like testosterone or as you touched on, you can use testosterone uh, in women to help with one aspect of desire? Yeah, testosterone is very interesting in America. There is an Australian, the Australian FDA has an Australian approved product for females. So it's dosed for, oh. you know, female dose. And what, we got to back up for it because I think a lot of people don't understand that women have testosterone. Right. Because what we did right. is we gen we gendered hormones, right? Like we all mm. gendered hormones in med school without knowing it. Like testosterone's the male hormone, estrogen's the female hormone. Yeah. And what we did when we gendered them is we erased the fact that there's testosterone in all bodies. Just like estrogen. Just so like estrogen. You're typical. Just saying, yeah. Just like estrogen. Yeah, yeah. And depending upon where you are in your cycle, for a woman who's premenstrual, she'll have more testosterone in her body yeah. than estrogen. It's just one tenth of the male right. dose, right? But you never know that because testosterone's deciliters per right. blah blah yeah. blah, and estradiol's right. Like they're actually measured differently, yeah. so you'd never see like the testosterone. I actually had to like do the yeah. conversion for my book to like point out that we actually have a lot of testosterone. But so first, you have to like remind people that all bodies have testosterone, and then you say, "Well, ovaries make testosterone, and that goes down also perimenopause, postmenopause." And if there is a hormone for desire, it is testosterone. And again, it's not one-to-one. -one. You can give lots of people testosterone and their desire Correct. is not any different. But you give some people testosterone and they're like, yeah, <laughs> sex is a lot more interesting to me now. So that's what we do. We dose, we use a male product, right? Usually test them 1%. You dose it at one-tenth the dose. You have to be on it for a while, three to six months, because it's a little slow. You know, it's not a light switch. And they say, if it doesn't work by then for your desire, you know, it's probably your low desire is probably not from a, a low testosterone condition. But, um, you know, the big question of why, why don't we have a female testosterone dose in this country of like, it's a cheap hormone. You can't patent it. Who's going to do it? The FDA said we're, we require a million or a billion dollar study. Because the bar for safety in women in research in our country is actually much higher than the bar they use for men. So to get a new testosterone product, it's like, you know, some millions for to get a man approved. For a woman, they said it's going to be a billion dollars. So who's going to do it? And if you did it, you'd put pink packaging on it and charge $700, which nobody would buy right. it because you can just use the male stuff. Right. Well, we saw that with some other drugs. But maybe yeah. more than you wanted to know, but it's No, it's very interesting. And, and, you know, we've seen that problem with other drugs, you know, um, like flavanserin and stuff like that, for sure, where it's been very expensive and hard to get uh, well, for other well, How about flavanserin? Yeah, yeah. Let's... Why don't we talk about flavanserin? Yeah, yeah. So there's there's uh, bremelanotide and flavanserin. So flavanserin's right. Addy, right? Yes, I'm yes. getting my generics yes. in yeah. my, yeah. Um, okay, so Addy came around, was, start, was studied initially as an antidepressant, right. worked kind of crappy as an antidepressant. This is kind of like the Viagra story right. too, right? Like mm -hmm. worked kind of crappy. So just to give people pressure. background, flibanserin uh, is like but, considered the female Viagra. That's what we're talking about right here. Although technically Correct. different because Viagra works on Absolutely. blood flow and arousal and filbanserin is more right. desired. Right. Again, look, going at the bio of the mm -hmm. biopsychosocial that maybe it's just a dopamine. Right. Maybe, maybe if you just had some more dopamine. Um, dopamine gets released, interestingly enough. Dopamine gets released in the pursuit of something that is desirable. So if I'm like, I've got, 
let's say I've got chocolate cake upstairs, mm-hmm. right? I'm getting a dopamine release by pursuing that chocolate cake because that's worth it. Right. So people think dopamine is released for the event of like, no, no, no it's actually released. It gets it's us anticipatory out of our cake. and like a reward chasing your goal kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where the whole sex worth desiring comes in. Because if you're not having, if you're having shitty sex in the first place, I can give you all the testosterone mm. and filbanserin in the world. And you're like, eh, it's kind of like, you know, Swiss cheese to me. I can take it or leave it. It's not No, my but that's, cheese. that's true with men. It's true um, with men too, right? Because if, if we have, you know, if there's a partner relationship issue, I don't care if you have, if you want to have sex, you're still not going to have sex. You're, you're not going to be doing it because it, it, there's some, you know, there's yeah. another barrier there. A hundred percent. The desire with that person yeah. is not there. So I agree. And and that's why, like for me, I, I you know, I wrote the book. So I'm like, women need to know all of this before they take a med. It doesn't work. And then they're a medication failure. And now they feel crappier because they've failed the med. Right. So to me, I'm like, the education has to come first. So it was a crappy antidepressant. But a lot of women said like, hey, I desired sex more. And I, I kind of liked it. Like I kind of liked the sex more. And they're like, what's up with that? Does it, you know, is there something to that? And in the studies, it does work better than placebo. Again, just like Viagra, huge placebo yeah, effect. Thousand percent. You give a sugar pill to somebody, and like their sex life gets 100%. better. Right? Um, so there's that. But the thing is, it works for some people. We just don't know who it's going to work for. But that's kind of like how you know antidepressants right. work too. Of like, it works for some people. We just we have to try. Um, you can get it pretty cheap now through a specialty pharmacy. It's incredibly safe. The side effect is it's helping mm-hmm. you sleep. So I'm not opposed to this this medication at all, but I never want somebody to be like, oh, turns out we were just in like couples therapy and that's why I right. had low desire, not because of this medication didn't work. That's a good point. So tell us about, you know, this desire mismatch in relationships, because I think that's what we're kind of leading towards here. You know, we're kind of establishing, you know, guys that we're always testing this desire and for women it's almost like i i i it sounds like to me like when i'm like "Eh, i don't know if i want to do something and then i do that event say it's like i don't want to i don't want to go to this dinner with these people or something and i go it's like you know i'm really glad i did that i definitely want to do this again you know it sounds like it's that kind of situation so can you explain this issue of desire mismatch and relationships and what it is how common it is yeah, it's so important to normalize it, right? Because I think, you know, how if we get it from Hollywood or where we get this idea of like the couple's desire has to be the same? And you're like, nothing else is the same in a relationship, mm-hmm. right? Like you like Toyotas, I like Hondas, <laughs> I like pizza, yeah. you like spaghetti, right? right. Like, you know, like they're, you're two different people. Why would you be perfectly matched on desire, right? Especially when people, this is something couples I think never talk about, but it's like, what does sex mean for you, right? Whereas the guy's like, it means I'm close to you. It means that you're the one. And the, the woman, the, and I'm gender stereotyping. This is not right. always how it is. But the other partner might be like, I need to feel close to you in order to have sex with you. And then these two people are living in the same house and they never have sex. But like what sex means, right? Is it a fascinating question to ask your partner of like, when do you feel like you're sexiest? When, when is a good time for you to have sex? The afternoon is a better time because I have way more energy than like after all right. the kids go to bed. Right. Of like figuring it out instead of like needing to have it one person's way as much as one person wants to have it. And then the other person's like, this isn't sex worth desiring for me anymore. I'm just doing it for somebody else. And so normalizing mismatch and then realizing it's not the low person's job to come. Let's say there's a low and a high. 
It's not the low person's job to rise to the high person's level. They can't do it. You can't make me eat pizza that much. I will start rejecting pizza all the time. Like just normalizing it like that is like, oh, okay, well, what works for our relationship? And how can we prioritize this? Because if this one's always pursuing and they get sex one in seven times, they're going to pursue more to get that one. And then they're going to be like, oh, I hate saying no all the time. People hate saying no to sex. They feel bad about it, but like they don't want to have sex right now. So really conversation and talking to each other. And that's like where the intimacy is built. It's like, how can we make sex work? You want to be in a sexual relationship with me? Okay. How can we make this work with our busy schedules, our different desire levels, but prioritize us as a sexual couple? I think that's a, that's a great point. And that's what a lot of this, we always kind of get back to is that communication is key. And for some reason, when it comes to desire and sex, guys and women may not want to just converse about that. Yeah. And it's maybe just a, the simple so answer, scary. you know, the simple answer, just talk, talk, be truthful, be honest with each other. And yeah, you know, like, hey, I got more energy in the afternoon. That's when I really want to do it, you know? And it's so simple. Um, I never thought but, about totally. <laughs> <laughs> but, but on that note, though, so let's say, you know, couples age, their appearances change, relationships change as well. So, you know, let's say you're, you're open about the conversation, but how about like that physical attraction is not there as much anymore? And, uh, you know, yeah. it kind of comes from women too, from both sides. So, you know, kind of how do you approach that? How can couples overcome this? Yeah. Um, well, attraction is like very complex. It's kind of like desire, right? Of like the reason why you're not attracted to somebody, it could be physical. It could be a trust issue. Trust got broken, right? It could be like somebody really made you upset about something and it's still not resolved, right? And so you say you're not attracted to them, but you're like, what actually is it where I don't want to you know, participate with this person anymore? Sometimes it's just distance or like you've turned into like parent, a parent management team. Instead of like two people who are attracted, yeah. who like got together because they were attracted, they had similar interests and really prioritizing like spend some time with this person, spend some time with this person, like doing fun stuff. Again, looking at like the dopamine that goes up, but um, like dancing and laughing, going to comedy, like things that get your enjoy- enjoyment up with that person really does help as far as being like, oh, yeah, you're pretty cool. You don't just parent my children with me. Like, it's good to know. I forgot <laughs> of like prioritizing time together um, to do that. And, you know, again, if it's just physical and you were just there for the physical of like a lot of people will be like, I know bodies age and I'm aging, too. And they have the grace to love me and we're doing this together. And I think if it's more, you know, and then you'll see a mismatches of like, I really love fitness and eating healthy and they've totally let themselves go. And, I, you know, they drink too much and blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, maybe a, a marriage therapist, couples therapist to figure out like, are you? Are you on the same trajectory mm. in life? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great point. But yeah, I, yeah, I'm not gonna say like fake it. Can you fake it till you make it? <laughs> no. You can't fake it till you make it. Can you can you fake it? You can't no. fake it. The penis doesn't. No, that's tr- it's it's a truth teller for sure. <laughs> um, so you've been giving us some really good information. We've talked about all this desire and this mismatch, but you know, it's making me think that you know. As we get older and this desire changes, often guys still continue to have this desire, but it can obviously change for women too. And how do guys, if they start noticing their their partner is decreasing in desire, like how do you approach them? How how do you discuss this? Like, is there a, a tactful way of doing so? 
Yeah, use I and we statements, not you statements. Good advice. <laughs> you have a no, problem yeah, with look, I, like, I mean, you well, know, like said, literally, this happens. Like the yeah, guy, yeah, the guy I'm will sorry. come in. I'm trying. To, I don't sound like a dick. Will, the guy brings the woman into the doctor, and then he's like, "She has oh, low desire. No. We need it fixed." Yeah, and you're like, "Yeah, yeah, you're you're real hot. Like everybody wants to sleep with you." Like be you know that's the the quintessential like be the partner worth desiring. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think for a lot of people it's like you know we we we. I feel more connected to you when we maintain our sexual bond. It's important to me that we have a sexual relationship. How can I help? What's going on for you? Like leading with curiosity is going to get you so much more than like, why don't you want to have sex with me anymore? <laughs> you know, you can see like people are like the defenses right. go up. Yeah. You're right. not going to get the truthful answer. Right. You're not. You're not going to like get the intimacy that is to be found within that conversation, right? And um, here's the thing: like in modern times, we've got dopamine on demand. Yeah. Like think about back when like we didn't have lights and there was nothing going on in town and we didn't have phones and like sex was a pretty big draw. Yeah. It's really true. Like, you know how easy, That's a my, really good point. You know how easy really good my point. dopamine is? Like I can get dopamine so hard with like Netflix and haagen ice cream. Yeah. Sex is actually a pretty big ask. Like that's work. I got to like dance with somebody. That's a great point. So to realize like, Really Sex for point. some people, you can get dopamine way cheaper, way easier, and you don't have to leave the couch. And you can do it in front of the kids. Like, it's nice. So to be like, it's a kind of, hey, you got to put on your running shoes to go on a run. Like, you know, sex is actually a little bit more of an ask for some people. And I'm not saying like, give up everything else but to realize like i have to realize how much my body wants ice cream and netflix on the couch like i love it i might have spontaneous (laughs) desire for that but like realizing like okay but we want to prioritize our sexual relationship let's prioritize it then let's block out some time let's figure out what gets you in the mood and the other thing of like we're not all light switches you know we come home from our jobs we've got dinner on the table i got put the kids to bed of like do i want to have sex right now no i do not because my brain was not in sexy mode for the last 23 hours. But we can learn to be like, all right, we're going to prioritize our sex life. Okay, good. Give me 20 minutes to do some yoga. Maybe just go be by myself in the bed for a little bit and like relax with some music and then come join me. And I'm going to be in such a better headspace. And it's really like, we don't learn how to transition our nervous system, Mm. like from sympathetic cortisol, go, go, go to this parasympathetic, accepting, relaxing, you know, being in the present moment. And we think like, well, that I'm not there, so I must not want sex. It's like you can actually learn to get there if you want to. That's a, that's a great point. You know, I, I think I read somewhere on the Internet. There were like, it was like nostalgia for like the times like 15 years ago. And it was saying something like standing in line in the bank. Like right now, standing in line in the bank, I probably I have so much dopamine firing because I'm on Instagram. I go on Twitter. Yeah. You know, there's so much things going on. But, you know, 15 years ago, you oh. were just standing there in line in the bank. <laughs> just standing. terrible. Nothing. Probably, probably thinking about having sex with your partner <laughs> later on that yeah. night and getting ready. You know? That's a great point. Ah, <laughs> oh. yeah. So you know, t- totally. Our brain, our brain has been taken away from like sex is just one thing, but it's actually more work for some people than the readily available dopamine that's out there. But you, you bring up a good point, and I think that that is for guys. You know, sometimes when we desire sex, we just 
think we can just go for it, go for it then at that moment. But, you know, communication is important. It's like, Hey, you know, maybe like I desire you right now, but like, what do we need to get you there? Like me, give me, do you need an hour? Like, what do you need to do? Like, let's do it so that we're both happy. We're both ready. We're both in the mood. And I think guys don't think that way often, because I think it's, you bring the important point of, you know, the, you know, women's desire just works differently than men. And, you know, so, so to acknowledge that and understand your partner in that way, I think just makes that relationship better and that experience better. So it, it's just a really good point you brought up with, you know, kind of getting the mood right. It doesn't have to be right now. It could yeah. be, you know, mm-hmm. when we both are, are in the mood. Yeah. And like the way we respond, right, to our spouse is like really important. It's like if you get grumpy because she says no, if you get mopey, and I see this all the time, and Justin, I want to do this research with you because it's not researched of like the amount of people who like have sex with their partner just to get them to like behave a certain way. <laughs> yeah. They don't want to, they're just going to mope and they're just going to blah, blah, blah. And if sex is a tool to get your partner to behave a certain way or not behave negatively, you, you're not going to like sex as much. It's being used for something else. Right. And like, and we don't have a lot of, I would love to quote our Let's paper on that in the future, but like re- really realizing the role that we play and like, it's okay for somebody to say no to you and not have sex tonight and like be an adult and like be able to handle that. And it doesn't mean your relationship's over, but I think, you know, it's very human to be like, I just think everybody thinks like me. Cause right. That's how we all think of like, just cause, just cause a penis is ready to go. doesn't mean a, a vulva is ready to go. Like it needs to get aroused engorged. It needs to have blood flow. It needs all the same things. And we completely neglect that there are female erectile structures that right. need to be turned on. Also, we just, you know, when we really treat, a female sexual body is like a vagina to put a penis in. We're completely yeah. neglecting what she needs to enjoy her sexual experience. Yeah. We, we, we talk a lot about that with Dr. Stryker. Uh, you know, you know, sex is not just penetrative sex. Um, there's much more to that. Uh, but kind of on a, on a, on a related topic on that, you know, we, we've now, you know, kind of explored, there's a difference in sexual desire between men and women. But why don't we kind of go down into like the differences in orgasms between men and women? I'll try. I'll try my best. I don't know if I'm a pro. And, and just to wrap up desire, like there are men with low desire. There are women with high desire. Like, and she's blamed no matter what. I have more desire than my male partner. I'm still the problem. And Yeah. Right? And so it's really trying to like... It's still trying to, because in our society, the male's desire is the default. Her desire is too high or it's too low. It revolves around his. And what what I'm really trying to say is like, let's be a little bit kinder to all the humans of like, it's and it's okay for a guy to not want sex all the time. Like, it's that's okay. We've gender stereotyped them as well. They feel super crappy when they're like, I don't actually want sex all the time. We're like, that's okay. You're human. You're not Hollywood, you know? So I think everybody can benefit from just understanding desire a little bit more. I dig this. <laughs> On to orgasm. <laughs> It's a good point. So tell us, tell us about the. the um, I've never had a. I've never had a male <laughs> orgasm, so I don't know how that works. Oh, gotta ask from personal experience. Uh, I think that you know it, what you'll find in the textbooks and stuff is the the big difference for some, not all. That's all sex talks, right? Some, not all, um, is the refractory period. 
Mm. Um, and then the male refractory period gets, and that's the time that it, basically it's a reboot, right. right? Of like, I have an ejaculation and there's this period that goes by before I can have an ejaculation again. Um, and that can be a very short refractory period or it can get, it tends to get longer Correct. as you age. It's like, eh, I, I really can't have sex again for like two days, three days, whatever it might be. Um, whereas they say women don't really have that refractory period. She can easily have another orgasm if she wants. She might not want to. Um, and, you know, the other thing I think about female orgasms, and I think this is true also for male orgasms, though, is like you can actually like learn to have longer ones, shorter ones, more intense ones, some mellow ones. Like once you get into like understanding your body and the role of your breath, you can be like, I want this one to last for a while. I'm just going to chill out in an orgasm for a little bit. That sounds great. And like that might be mind blowing to people. Right. <laughs> But like really understanding your body and like getting curious about it and being like, well, this vibrator makes my orgasms do this. This vibrator makes my orgasms do that. Like there's a lot to learn there. And I think the the concept of a female like discussing her orgasms like that, again, we don't like women who like sex too much. So it's like almost an uncomfortable thing to be like, this is a normal bodily function. You can figure out how to, you know, play with it a little bit if you want. All right, Dr. Casper, this has been so far a great conversation. Let's kind of pivot over and let's talk about female sexual dysfunction. What is it and how common is it? Yeah, it's a great question. It's it's something that's relatively new. Like, especially as urologists, just take I'm gonna take you back to my residency, which was 10 years ago. And um I was told that women were complicated. We were difficult to figure out. We might never I remember being like, we might never figure them out. And me just like believing it because that's what my attendings told me. And this was in the world of like all erectile dysfunctions fixed by Viagra, which we now we know is not true also. Right. But um, mm -hmm. it really hit me like three years ago, which kind of like started this whole journey for me of like, who's taking care of the women who are supposed to be sleeping with the men that I'm giving Viagra to, right? And right. I assumed the gynecologists were taking care of them. And then I asked my gynecologist friends and they're like, no, we didn't get any training in that. Like we're... In all fairness, they're very busy, right? They've right. got all the other things. <laughs> yeah. And and so I was like, oh, nobody's taking care of the women. Did you know women were 50% of the population? These are not like a small minority. This is a very yeah. large, a very large group of people that nobody's taking care of, right? And then you look and you're like, oh, when you put in a mid urethral sling in residency, do you know where the the arms of the clitoris are? Do you know how close you are to the clitoris when you're putting in you're a mid urethral sling? You're pretty You're close. effing on top of it. And nobody ever, like, <laughs> I, I, that was not ever explained to me. It was only like me being like, pretty sure that's like going around the arms of the clitoris once you understand the clitoris, right? But so the point being, like, it's very new that anybody's actually giving a shit. So, and, and I think urologists are the perfect people to give a shit. Can we swear? Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay, good. Yeah. Because <laughs> because we're very, we're very comfortable with genitals. We're already comfortable with genitals, right? They're homologous structures. Mm -hmm. We got the penis, we got the clitoris, same, same. And we are, are already understanding experts of the pelvis, right? So I think urologists right. are the perfect people. Plus, we're treating the, and this, this is, you know, very interesting you know, ethical or question of like, when a guy comes in, he's got erectile dysfunction, you know, he's married. Who's asking it? Does it matter? Do we ask about the partner? Do we ask, hey, is she on vaginal estrogen? Are you, are you using mm -hmm. lube so it doesn't hurt her when she's 54? Um, do we care about the partnership or do we just care about an erect penis? And you're going to get different answers 
based upon right. who you ask. We were like, you just do the individual. And you're like, yeah, but that individual exists within a sexual relationship. And you're affecting that sexual relationship, which I would love to see a debate at the AUA on do you treat the penis or do you treat the couple? That's a great, um, it's a great, that'd debate. Be a great debate. It's a great yeah. debate. Yeah, I want to see it happen. I'll, I'll go on the couple side. <laughs> I'd argue <laughs> that I'd argue that any day of the week because you see women bring the Viagra back and you laugh and then you realize, wait, hold on. There's a legitimate problem going on here. Um, so yes, female sexual dysfunction, it can be arousal issues, desire issues, orgasmic issues, um, general urinary syndrome of menopause, which is absolutely huge, underdiagnosed, underappreciated, and very simple to treat. Um, clitoral phimosis, right? Just like penis, the penis has phimosis, the clitoris gets phimosis. Um, so it's really an amazing field that's biopsychosocial. It covers all aspects. And it's not scary and it's not difficult and it's not hard. And, you know, all the things that like sound nice, but it's actually a way of like dismissing that we care about those people. Right. But it's also very, very common. I think that's important for guys to know, you know, just as common as erectile dysfunction is, you know, almost 50% of the population has experienced, uh, you know, erectile dysfunction. Uh, all about 50% of women have experienced some aspect of female dysfunction almost. Uh, I think the data is really showing like in the 40s, 42%, 45%, you know, US and around the world. So, you know, that commonality is very important and important for guys to understand, you know, I can have issues with my penis. My partner may have issues with desire, painful intercourse, issues with their vulva, issues with arousal, orgasm. Now, identification of that, obviously it's easy for, uh, you know, a partner to figure out that if you have erectile dysfunction, but how can guys identify these things? Is there a better way to open up the communication route for identifying female sexual dysfunction, because we talked about desire, but that's really only one aspect of it, as you as you alluded to for female sexual dysfunction. There's a lot of different things. And, you know, how do you start a conversation uh, if you're worried about it? Because the, statistically speaking, almost half of the their guys' partners listening to this are probably having some kind of issue that maybe they yeah. don't know about. That's right. Well, I think number one is normalizing that pain is never, never normal, never okay. And I think mm -hmm. I think guys do know. A lot of guys do know that their partner's having pain with sex, but like the partner's like, it's fine. Just, you know, get it in and then it'll be fine. Like really kind of dismissing pain. And you can, you know, the women will come to see me and they're like, I have two problems. I've got pain with sex and I've got low desire. And I'm like, I'm going to make this easy. I'm going to only give you one problem. You have pain with sex. We don't desire things that are painful, right? Like, of course your desire for right. sex goes down when you, when you have pains and, it, and pain is very big. It's very, very common. And it, you know, multitude of, of reasons. It's it's probably a whole podcast episode, but going mm -hmm. into like not just being like, well, she says it's okay, so like let's just do it. Of like, no, you're you're setting up like an avoidance pathway in the brain every time you give somebody pain. Um, so pain is one of them. The changes after uh, having a baby, the changes while you're breastfeeding, you know, the changes if you've had a hysterectomy, the changes with perimenopause, your sleep. You know, people are like. If you're exhausted and they say they have this data with sh with shift workers, right? Like people who work at night or exhausted people like they don't want to have sex. Your body's like, I need to survive, not have sex. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah. you know, just even like the, your quality of sleep on your sex life can can affect it. But yeah, it's, female sexual dysfunction is as common as, as male sexual dysfunction. I want to I want to go back to you, you kind of touch on perimenopause and menopause there. You know, um, we have listeners all ages. And I, I see a lot of patients, uh, guys who come in, they talk about, talk to me, they're like, yeah, my wife's going through perimenopause or going through menopause. 
can you kind of explain to our listeners, like, you know, what is happening and how are women's bodies changing during that time? Yeah. So the ovaries have a shelf life, basically. And the definition of menopause is the 366th day after not having a natural period. So it's a year of no periods is the definition, which is a crappy definition because like hysterectomies, IUDs, you know, all the things. Right. Um, mm -hmm. but so we kind of have to guess, but in, in Western societies, 51 is the average age of menopause. Perimenopause is basically means surrounding menopause uh, and it's described as up to 10 years prior. <clears throat> so if you've got average age of 51, which means some have 50% or before then, and then you've got the 10 years before that you start having perimenopause symptoms in your mid to late thirties is not unreasonable. Um, wow. But there's no blood test for it. I can't do an x-ray and tell you. So it's like, you know, the lovely diagnostic stuff that Western medicine loves to do to be like, yes, um, I think what's happened in our society is we've completely ignored it. We basically took hormones away from people after the 2001 Women's Health Initiative study. <clears throat> and then doctors didn't learn how to treat menopause. And we, there's a lot of bad health outcomes because we're not treating menopause. But because we didn't have an effective treatment anymore, we kind of just blew it off and we're like, I don't know, maybe that's what's going on, but I don't know. And doctors are not great at treating this stuff, um, but it's it's very real. It's a it's a it's your hormones going down to pre-pubertal yep. levels. It's very interesting. They're like uh, Instagram is going big with menopause right now, but somebody's like menopause is a hormone deficiency. And yep. like when a, when a man has testosterone, low testosterone, we call it a hormone deficiency. So to me yep. as a doctor, I'm very comfortable being like menopause is a hormone deficiency. People get all up in their bunches about it's not a deficiency because it's natural and blah, blah, blah. And it just shows you how differently we treat women than men. Like if a man comes to my office at 55 with low testosterone, I'm not like, well, you know, it's kind of natural. And like, you're getting older, <laughs> like it's lessable. So you, so we don't, we don't do it to men. And I think that's like, that's my superpower as a urologist is I treat all genders. So I yeah. see how we treat men. We give them the testosterone. We care about their quality of life. And then here we're arguing with the women of like, should we even call it a deficiency because it's natural. And if we call it a deficiency, that means you're broken. And it's like, it's a medical term to describe your hormones being low. Like, come on. Right. But so it's, it's fascinating how we treat the genders very differently when it comes to hormones. It's, it's such an excellent point. You yeah. know, everyone, you're right on Instagram, TikTok, everyone's like men's testosterone from 20 years ago is dropping. We need to do something. We need to fix society. And then here you are, you're right. It's like, oh yeah, well, we're sitting here as women and our, we lose our, our hormone levels and everyone's like, ah, it's fine, I guess. But you, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's, it is problematic in many ways, but yeah. to go to this aspect of menopause and bringing it back to sex, how does menopause impact, you know, female anatomy, especially when an impact their relationship with sex, their sexual interactions uh, with, with their partners and like penetrative sex and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having this topic on your podcast because so many people don't know. And the, like, education is the best way to empower people and getting right. rid of all getting rid of all the fear and i actually got into menopause like i am one of the i don't know how many other urologists are actually nam certified north american menopause society certified i got certified because i'm like i know so much about this now because of mm -hmm. my podcast and because of sex because people right. kept coming to me and they're like well you know you know 
I don't have sex because of menopause. Well, you know, I don't have sex with my wife because of menopause. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, what's up with menopause and sex? Let's let's see what the data says. And the data says the top two reasons that women stop having sex after menopause is number one, symptoms of menopause. And number two, availability of partner. I always tell people wow. I can't help you. I can't help mm. you with the second problem. <laughs> that's yeah. that's, yeah. On, that's on you. <laughs> that's the dating websites. But so if you're having hot flashes, if you have worse anxiety, if you're sleeping poorly, if your vagina is dry, all the symptoms of menopause, you're less likely because people are like, is it just estrogen? Right. And right. A, in a roundabout way, yes. Estrogen is not, again, going back to the testosterone is really your desire hormone. You give people estrogen, their desire doesn't really change all that much. For some people, it does. But for some people, it doesn't. And you can do rat studies. And you're like, yeah, the, the, their desire doesn't, but their receptivity increases. Estrogen is more of a receptive sexual hormone. But it fixes all the, horm the menopause symptoms. I'm sleeping better. My moods are more stable. I'm not mm -hmm. flashing, hot flashing all the time. Like all that stuff. And then they're like, I just feel better. in My, my joints don't right. ache. Yeah. Like if guys were like, my joints ache. And we're like, well, you know, try, try some wine. <laughs> we're like we can fix joint aching it's it's called hormone treatment right like and then they want to have sex more because they just feel better they feel more like right. themselves it's yeah. like yeah so inadvertently we don't give estrogen to increase your desire we give estrogen to treat your menopause now you're feeling more like yourself you're feeling better your desire goes up so but, does that, that but answer also the question? Yeah, and also, and, and vaginal estrogen has also been shown to help, especially if you're having issues with vaginal dryness. Uh, that could be a case where, like, you know, uh, I've seen where women are like, you know, I, I just don't want to have a sex as much because it hurts a lot more. Yeah, um, but vaginal estrogen is it's a great resource and has been. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, I'm on the I'm on the vaginal estrogen as preventative medicine bandwagon. Um, I'd love to see studies again, but we don't have it, so. Vaginal estrogen is so safe, it's over the counter in multiple countries. It just went over the counter in the UK for various reasons. It's fascinating. But um, that's how safe it is, number one. It is hundredths of a percentage less than systemic menopause hormones, which is still way lower than you age 25 hormones. Like vaginal estrogen is nothing. This is skincare. This is like putting sunscreen on my face and wondering that's... why my foot gets burned. It's like, because it doesn't get there. It's just like that, that, so minimal amount. But yeah, I like it as preventative medicine because in Western medicine, I come to you when stuff's broken. Yeah. I've got yeah. urinary tract infections. Mm. I've got, I, I stopped, mm. so many of my women, I stopped having sex seven years ago because it hurt. And I'm like, did mm. you know that well, that's a, men a menopause thing and it can be treated? They're like, no, they don't know. And their, their partners don't know either. But so I, I like preventative medicine starting at age around 55 Again, I can't give you a guideline on that, but why right. come to me already broken? Why, why come to you with the sun damage? You're going to be on sunscreen, right? So I'm like sunscreen and seatbelts. That's where, that's where vaginal estrogen great analogy, is in my world. Great analogy. General urinary that's a, that's syndrome. That's so great to know. Yeah, yeah. It's 50 to 80% of postmenopause people. This yeah. is the female genital structures and bladder became that way because of estrogen. Mm -hmm. And so they have issues when you take the estrogen away. Yeah. I thought you guys, I didn't learn this in urology. I thought that there were just 70 year old women who were born without labia minora until I went to an Ishwish conference and they're like, yeah, the labia minora resorbs when you don't have estrogen. And I was like, it's wild. Yeah. It's I was crazy. like, holy shit. Yeah. Things I didn't learn. <laughs> I'm like, I just thought some people were born without them. 
and they just happen to all be 70. But like, that's a sexual structure. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a sexual it structure. It's concerning. It, yeah. Yeah. It, it's involved in arousal and blood flow and ability to orgasm. We need to keep them healthy. We give it, we give it estrogen. I'm going to play this clip for a lot of my patients because, you know, I think the one thing you pointed out is and it's a struggle that I have is so many, so many women are actually so scared of like, they're like, oh, no, no, but all the risks. And you know, pointing it out that it's actually over the counter in the UK, I think it's will helpful. really help. Yeah, it's, it's super helpful. helpful. This is yeah, like, all of this important. is interesting because I'm just a nerd on all this. But it's like, so the FDA has a rule, and the FDA's rule says we have to uh, apply the black box warning to any formulation of this drug. And so, super high estrogen formulations that we don't even use anymore, possibly associated from the Women's Health Initiative study, which we now know is highly flawed trickles yes. down to being on an estrogen cream label. And so they come to me, I tell them it's safe, I tell them it doesn't cause cancer, and then I tell them, you will read, if you are a label reader, you will read the opposite. And now you have to decide between your doctor telling you the truth and the FDA telling you the truth. And I'm actually working with a lawyer to go see if we can, I, we know people at Pfizer, we're actually working on getting this damn very cool. change. Because That's it is preventing cool. so many people from getting the care the safe care that they need. And like, it's, it's a clockwork. I talk about vaginal estrogen. They're like, well, you know, my aunt had breast cancer and my cousin had yeah. breast cancer and my sister. Yeah. And I look at them cause I'm just, I'm a little, I'm a little saucy and I'm like, I'm sorry, but like, why is that relevant here? They don't right. know why they don't know where the estrogen caused breast cancer even came from. Right. And I'm like, it doesn't cause breast cancer, but we got it. Like that's where you have to get before I can even get you treatment. Yeah. It's a good point. It's, it's so, it's so interesting. And I think it's enlightening for guys to know, because, um, as you're, as you're saying, you know, their partners may not want to engage and there's that desire mismatch because of these things in, in, in a potential postmenopausal partnership. And, you know, if guys are actually informed about this now, maybe they can have that conversation with their partner. Hey, you know, I heard about this thing and maybe, maybe it's something we can go talk to the doctor about, but, you know, what other things, though, for men in a, in, in a, who have a partner who is either menopausal or postmenopausal, you know, what are ways in which they can, you know, be better in engaging sex in a, you know, in a more satisfying way with their partner? Is there something that some nuances that that guys at that point have to know about? Yeah, let's give people the good news, right? So if you look at yeah. the sexually satisfied people and like the experts at sex who are like the self-proclaimed, like I'm having great sex, those people, they actually looked at them because <clears throat> they're like, we want to figure out what they're doing right. Right. And they're these are not young people. These are people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 40s. These are the people having the magnificent sex for various reasons. They're comfortable with their body. They're excellent communicators. They're willing to fail. They, mm. they, they just want to, they, they prioritize time spent trying to have good sex, right? So like you can learn a lot from like the, it's Peggy Kleinplatz's book, Magnificent Sex. Um, you can learn a lot from studying the people who are like, oh yeah, that's me, <laughs> right? And the good news is yeah. they're not young. Yeah. These are not 20 year olds. So people, you know, that whole, like, I had a couple come in and they're like, well, if you're telling us that we could have sex, like when we're older and I'm like, you guys are in your forties, like you're going to be fine if, but you got to know that it's possible. Right. I have people in their eighties right. having sex. They're completely happy. They're on some yeah. hormones. Let me tell you, but like, <laughs> and they use lube. <laughs> but yeah, I think number one is lube. 
right? We get dry skin, mm -hmm. um, whether or not we're using estrogen yet or not. There is a barrier to care because we have to go to a doctor. We have to go to a doctor to get vaginal estrogen cream. That doctor might not know it doesn't cause cancer. That doctor might not care that your sex life is important to you. That doctor might not know the role of estrogen in preserving pelvic health structures, right? Mm -hmm. So it legit is a struggle in this country to right. get access to Big care. Big barriers. Big barrier. I did not know that until I started being on Instagram and all the women started talking to me. Like I, I have so much more insight now. But so lube, 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 lube for orgasm. I would say the penis and the clitoris aren't self-lubricating organs. Don't make the vagina do all the work. So... <laughs> I love, I love silicone lube. I love oil-based lube. If condoms isn't something people have to worry about, those are fantastic because they're long-lasting. They just feel better. They're not like that tacky, sticky, water-based lube stuff. And like, well, we learned from Dr. Stryker, water-based no lube is, uh, is a no-go. Yeah. She taught yeah, us, you know, bad for, no bad for the vagina. Yep. Don't use water-based. She said silicone-based. And she did tell us the oil does, like you said, with the condoms, you know, yep. can, can cause issues with the... Know, breaking condoms and the other nice thing like for that. the winter i know people who have sex in florida don't have to worry about this but like it's yeah. cold <laughs> and now the lube's cold like the oil base is not as cold it's very nice oh okay uh, but yeah. yeah yeah i'll i'll see women in my office for pain with sex and they're like my boyfriend told me i shouldn't use lube and i'm like is he this expert like <laughs> especially if they're putting erect penises in unaroused vaginas which i think is an epidemic and again I don't see, there's not a lot of studies on this, but I think a lot of women are like, he wants to have sex, just put it in. And then they're like, I have pain. But you have to arouse the pelvis because it lengthens the vagina and tilts the, the cervix back and helps decrease pain. But people don't have adult sex ed. They don't know these things. I think you need to repeat that because I think that that is like something that I've never thought about for like anyone and never talked, mentioned that. Can you just repeat that? So basically, you know, guys have to understand, you know, you, you can't just, go in there right is that is That's that right. what you're saying yeah i would say if, if it's not an eight on arousal don't penetrate I'm like turning into a uh, funny person it's but such it's like, a <laughs> just because the penis isn't erect doesn't mean she's ready right and and her amount of lubrication and moisture isn't always correlated with how turned on she is a lot of people will correlate those two things there's actually like a, a term for that it's called like arousal desire non-concordance or something but so that's why lube is important. She might be like really ready to go and just not have enough to lubricate the clitoris, the penis, the vagina. You know, we'll just, you can help the somebody. Somebody asked me yesterday. I was doing a Q and A, and they're like, "We have sex for a really long time, and I hate that I have to reapply lube so much." And I'm like, "You chafe when you run 13 miles. Like, what do you want me to tell you? It's, it's, it's how bad." That's like a work. humble brag. It's like a humble yeah, brag. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I? You know what I hate. <laughs> But I think I mean, the other thing specifically to your question of like perimenopause and menopause is like dissociate sex from just being putting a penis in the vagina. That's right. like the heteronormative theory is that's how it happens. And it's devastating for when the penis doesn't work. And it's devastating for when the vagina doesn't work. Right. Like we have such a narrow view of what sex is of like, maybe you're just going to do hands today or just mouths or just vibrators or you're just going to whatever you're going to do. It's like. It's so broken for people when one of those structures is broken and they don't know how to otherwise be intimate and be close and show their affection. Right. We can take a lot from our non-heterosexual relationships of like their definition of sex is, and they've done research on this, their definition of sex is way bigger than the heterosexual definition of sex. That's a great point.
It's a really good point. All right. Um, I don't know. I think we kind of covered everything that we wanted to talk about. Kevin, what do you, any final thoughts or, or comments, uh, Kelly, anything you want that we missed that you want to mention? No, I think it's, it's good. I mean, I think what's, what we're lacking in this country and what you guys are trying to help and what I'm trying to help is adult sex education. It's like, we got this disease and pregnancy prevention plan before we were even adults or like having consistent sex. And then we're all like fumbling around, assuming things about each other and getting nowhere and feeling crappy. It's like adult sex ed is going to change the world. Certainly going to help a lot of people out. And I think it comes down to just communication. It's every one of these, the theme has been communication. communication. Yeah. Yeah. It's never about sex, actually. That's what I've learned. It's (laughs) never actually about sex. It's about feeling like I've been listened to and that you understand me. And like, that's where the, the intimacy is in talking about this, not in the actual sex act. That's great. Well, for our listeners, where can I'm sure most of our listeners know of you and have have found you online, but where can everyone find you online? Where can they read your book? Tell us all all of your information. All the things. If they want me reading the book, I did the audio. So that's pretty that's fun. Great. You can find you can find that on Amazon. Um, I'm on Instagram at Kelly Casperson MD, and that's my website as well, Kelly Casperson MD. The book and the podcast are You Are Not Broken. Beautiful. So I want to thank uh, Dr. Kasperson for coming on again. Uh, As always, guys, thanks for listening. Questions, comments, concerns, you can always reach out to Kevin or I at our our Instagram uh, platforms. uh, Please follow us on TikTok, Instagram, uh, YouTube, Twitter. Subscribe, download. Um, We're on all podcasting platforms, including Spotify and iTunes. Give us a review, comment. Five stars is always appreciated. You can also find us on our website, Kev's. What, what is our website? The website is www.themanapod.com. And all of our Instagram, all of our, our platform social media handles are at the Pod. Uh, so you can follow us along there. For Dr. Casperson, Kevin and I, thanks for listening. Until next time, have a good one. Bye.